Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. Commonplace, if somewhat grim, unsocial event known as a necktie party. The guest of dishonor, a cowboy named Joe Caswell. Just a moment away from a rope, a short dance several feet off the ground. Mr. Joe Caswell, who, when the good Lord passed out a conscience, a heart of feeling for fellow men, must have been out for a beer and missed out. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema, the Twilight Zone series. I'm your host, Jimbo, and today, in person... In the studio is with me, you know him, you love him, ADZ. Good to be here, ADZ, in the house. It's 80s. nice to get to do an in-studio uh, podcast. A face-to-face, and guess what? We're not even wearing masks. Oh, no. But we are six feet apart. Yeah. So, just letting everybody know. Um, well, ladies, how you been? Good? Been, been good. Healing okay? Healing okay, All yeah. Right. Um, so, we record these usually a couple weeks ahead of time. We've, we've had a nice stockpile, if you will. Um, so Eric had a little minor procedure done, so we're trying to get back on track and get things going again. So everybody, uh, say your good thoughts and prayers for Mr. ADZ as he's recovering. So Eric, here we are, episode 25 of season one, uh, already, uh, we're trudging right through this. Um, only about what, 12 episodes ago, maybe. Really? I yeah, think it's only 36, 34 an episode or season one. more than halfway through. That's good. Right, so this is Twilight Zone Execution. I know we're going to have a difference of opinion on this one because this is at the bottom feeder, but I'll let you know why towards the end of the episode. I can't wait. I know you can't wait because I'm going to about ready to blow your mind with what I dug up and you're going to be like, oh, I didn't even know that. (laughs) So Eric, let's take it away. All right, uh, episode number 26 entitled Execution. This is uh, season one. Uh, It was directed by David Oric McDermott. And the teleplay uh, was by Rod Serling. And it was actually based on a, I believe it was a short story entitled Execution. And the author was George Clayton Johnson. And this original air date uh, for this episode was April the 1st, April Fool's Day, 1960. And the total production costs for this particular episode was $53,149.32. 
And if we adjust that for inflation, we're looking at $469,692.75. Um, so we're, we're definitely the last several um, episodes, we're in the $50,000 range. Um, so production costs um, have increased. Um, now, do you think that was because of the popularity of the series at the time and they were getting more viewers? So the, uh, the corporations gave them more, NBC or whoever gave them more money, CBS gave them more money for that, their episodes? That's, that's reasonable to assume that they, they expanded their budget a little bit, which it kind of seems a little bit um, confusing, though, in light of uh, season two with there being so many videotaped episodes. But I don't know. I, I don't know. That'd be something that uh, would be interesting to deep dive into. But, uh, you know, I did a little research on that. There is a total of six episodes they did on videotape. Okay. Um, and they were going to try to use it to just film the rest of the series. Like that one of them is Night of the Meek. Um, I think The Living Doll. There's, there's, there's like six of them. I know mm-hmm. that they did. I believe they're all pretty much all in season two. But they were trying to see if it would be cheaper if they could get away with doing that instead of doing it the way they had been doing it. Right. So. Exactly. Yep. Uh, definitely. Uh, a decrease in uh, quality on those videotape episodes. We've mentioned that several times, but let me just briefly read you the plot of this particular episode. The plot is in 1880, uh, an outlaw cowboy named Joe Caswell is about to be hanged for murder, but as the news tightens around his, his neck, he suddenly disappears and finds himself in 1960 in the laboratory of Professor Mannion. Mannion explains that he used a time machine to pluck Caswell from the past, but when Mannion sees Caswell has rope burns around his neck and hears his admission that in his life he had murdered over 20 men, he knows he must try to send Caswell back. Uh, The discussion leads to an argument. Caswell attacks Mannion, killing him with a desk lamp. He then flees from the laboratory into a busy street, but is overwhelmed by the lights and the noise. He returns to the lab, distraught and desperate. He breaks down and he pleads with a dead scientist to help him. A, th- a thief excuse me, named Paul Johnson enters the lab. Caswell fights with Johnson, but Johnson gets the upper hand and strangles Caswell with a cord from the window curtains. And as Johnson tries to find Mannion safe, he accidentally activates the time machine and is sent back to 1880 appearing in the noose intended for Caswell, just in time to be hanged. The witnesses to the hanging are shocked to see a stranger's body in strange clothes in the place of Caswell. They question whether this was the devil's work or some other powers, and whether they have just executed an innocent man. So just a brief synopsis. A brief? I think you just told the whole episode right there. It may have been a little longer than normal, but that's the basic plot of the episode. And uh, Jimbo, did you want to go ahead and hit yeah, the cast? Yeah, let me get the cast before we just hit the credits and, and close this one out. Um, <laughs> well, you didn't off, like you, it anyway. Well, so. well, yeah, you're about ready to find out. But uh, you had Albert Salmi um, played, as Eric stated, Joe Caswell. Something about Joe, um, he played in Escape from Planet of the Apes. Also in Caddyshack, he was Mr. Noonan. And in Dragon Slayer as Grell. But April 25th, 1990, um, the police were called to a house where there appeared to be a murder-suicide with him and his wife. Um, He was found in the den upstairs, and she was dead on the kitchen floor. Um, They were separated at the time, so it was a murder-suicide. I don't know who shot who. I didn't really dive deep into that. Okay. Um, But uh, she was – her friend found – looked through the window, saw her on the kitchen floor, and they found him – the police found him upstairs in his den. Uh, Russell Johnson, um, Professor Mannion – Obviously, the professor from Gilligan's Island, which right. Eric's about to do a deep dive on that um, here in a little bit. Um, but, yeah, he played a lot of professors in a lot of stuff. He really did. 
uh, Than Wen as Paul Johnson. Um, he played in Splash, the movie Splash. Did you ever see Splash? I did. I, uh, uh, that's, that's interesting. Mr. Yeah. Ambrose okay. uh, is who he played. Uh, John Lormer uh, was the Reverend. He was in. Um, he was John in Creepshow. Do you remember Creepshow? Or uh, sorry, John played uh, in Creepshow. He was Nathan in 1982. The movie Creepshow. The movie right. Creepshow. Yes. Was there a television series though, The Creepshow, as well? Wasn't there? Uh, I can't. I'm not I'll sure. have to look that up. I know Creepshow too. I know that was a sequel. But uh, then you had George Mitchell uh, played the elderly man. He was in the Dark Shadows TV show. That's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically a soap opera of, if you will, monsters and, and vampires and, and stuff like that. Then you had Faye Roop, uh, or Roopy, as the judge. Uh, he was in a lot of westerns. I didn't even write them down. Uh, then you had Richard Carlin as the bartender. And then you had Joe Hayworth, or Hallworth, as the TV cowboy. So, Eric, um, you want yeah. to go ahead and give us a deep dive there on Russell Johnson? Sure, the yeah, I'll give you a quick, um, hopefully a little quicker than the plot, but a, <laughs> a biopic of Russell David Johnson, as uh, Jimbo mentioned earlier. He's most famously known um, for playing the professor on Gilligan's Island, uh, and I think he, had, um, he did a good job on I re- didn't realize that that really didn't run that long, that uh, Gilligan's Island. Three, three seasons. Three seasons believe. only. <clears throat> but he was born um, November 10th, 1924. And he died actually on January 16th, 2014. And his given name is Russell David Johnson. And he's best known um, for playing the professor. Uh, Long before he was known as the professor, though, he was uh, in the cult comedy classic, before the cult comedy classic Gilligan's Island. He was a character actor, and he actually worked on a lot of westerns. He, uh, He played a villain on a lot of western TV shows. And uh, unlike uh, his professor character, Johnson said that he was not a bright student and was in fact held back a grade. Johnson did redeem himself later, though, in his high school years, and he made up for it by um, being inducted into the National Honor Society. And uh, he was, uh, again, originally uh, best known for playing character villains, but that changed in 1964. Uh, He was married three times, uh, one divorce, and uh, one, uh, he was a widow, widower, excuse me, one time, um, and then he, his uh, final marriage was to a lady named Constant Dane, and she, uh, that was from May of 18th, May 18th of 1982 to January 16th, uh, 2014, obviously, uh, at his death. Um, some other interesting things about uh, Russell Johnson was that during World War II, he enlisted to become an aviation cadet and rose to the officer's rank of first lieutenant under the service number 765497. He flew as a bombardier in a B-25 aircraft on a total of 44 combat missions over the Netherlands and East Indies and in the Philippines. So here's another uh, World War II veteran to join the cast of the Twilight Zone. There were a lot of those. Um, he, I didn't know this, he was known for narrating the long-running anime series, for all you anime fans, called Robotech in 1985. And with the death of Bob Denver from Gilligan's Island on September 2nd, 2005, he was the last surviving male cast member of the Gilligan's Island. And I think Tina Louise might be the only surviving cast member today. I, think, well, I believe she's alive, because Don Wells just she passed just away yeah, yeah, she just year. died. Um... And again, just to reiterate, he was best known for his role as Roy Hinckley, Roy Hinckley, the professor on Gilligan's Island. And I actually watched a YouTube, just as a side note, it was interesting. 
the way he got that job, he actually knew somebody. I believe that worked at. I believe it was CBS was the network. Um, he had a friend who worked in the like production or something who put together the uh, the videos uh, for screen testing and so forth. And the, his buddy kind of hooked him up because he put him in between two horribly screen tested actors and he stuck Russell Johnson's uh you know video in the middle and so you know he looks so good in between those two bad guys so it just goes to show you that if you had you got friends in the business uh, you know it helps but I thought that was interesting that he had a hook up there uh at the network uh to get him the that job in Gilligan's Island uh both of uh well twice he starred in the Twilight Zone he's also in another episode and both of the the episodes that he is in both involve time travel stories. Is he a professor on the other one too? Um, no, I think he's a what's the name of that um, episode? I believe he's like a senator or a congressman, and he walks through a door and well, I don't want to give it all yeah, away. Yeah, we'll save. He's for basically that trying to thwart the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. He goes back to 1865 and comes into contact with John Wilkes Booth, etc. But we'll get to that one. Uh, I believe that's in season two, uh, and that's pretty much it on. Uh, Russell Johnson, a uh, little biopic of, of his life and career. All right, so let's start talking a little bit about this episode, and then we'll see what you think. Okay. So, obviously, we start off uh, at a lonely tree with a noose hanging, a guy, guy strapped to a noose on a horse. Um, you got the guy mm-hmm. on the hill who is the father of the uh, person that uh, Mr. Caswell yep. has uh, said that he shot in self-defense, where he told him he shot him in the back. Um. Then the judge and all them. Hey, you got anything to say for you? He's like, <laughs> pretty much no. Um. So then- I thought the dialogue here was really good. I I thought the exchange was good. Um. I got a little bit of trivia about well, some things that they wanted to take out. The network wanted to take out. Um. I think he. I can't remember what he says. They wanted him to replace. Uh, let me just read it here. Sorry to interrupt, Jimbo. Among oh, them, good. the opening scene in which Caswell referred to the Bible as that book. CBS requested that Sterling change the speech to um, substitute their concern uh, with your preaching. So apparently that book was supposed to be replaced with your preaching, but Sterling made no change. Uh, Sterling did that a lot. You yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> he held his ground yeah. a lot of times. Yeah. Um, the, I thought this exchange was, the, the dialogue was pretty, pretty, it was very somber. I thought it was done pretty well. So then you have this is where you have the special effects playing because they slap the horse or whatever, and you see the shadow yeah. of the noose on the ground, the guy hanging, and then you look again, and there's nobody there, and they're like, "Where'd he what go? <laughs> yeah, whoa, whoa, what just happened?" Um, so the next thing you see, I do believe you are in the professor's, I guess I'll call it a laboratory for the, I guess apartment, if you will, mm-hmm. um, if you want to take it away from there. Oh uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to comment on, uh, I guess for the stunt. Um, uh, Albert Salmi he actually he was only like a, a foot and a half to two feet off the ground he just basically grabbed the rope in that hanging scene the necktie party if you will and he was only hanging um, like a foot or foot and a half when they shot the the actual shot of the, uh, the, the hanging or whatever but I guess he could only do two takes and he was too tired that he couldn't hold on to the rope well, yeah he was a, he's a bigger guy yeah. man. that's so like me I trying to was, from the ceiling fan here that, I couldn't stand that up was, that far uh, that was kind of funny that he you know I guess there was uh, I think it was in the the Twilight Zone Companion or one of the books that we reference often it was he he stated that I was I was like too tired that I couldn't do it more than two times <laughs> well you gotta the remember they only uh 
they usually shot these and they had like what a day of rehearsal or two days of rehearsal right. and, or, and then then they shoot um, yeah so so yeah going along in the episode you said you're in the the laboratory of professor Mannion, and you know caswell starts to come to and his his voice is really raspy and he's you know He's wanting to know where he is. Yeah. He says, where am I? You know, he has a real raspy, guttural voice. That's pretty good. <laughs> and he's asking, you know, Professor Mannion, and Professor Mannion goes on and tries to explain that he's a long way from home and that he's been transported in 100 years later and that he was in a time machine. And, of course, all of these things. I mean, he he's really, uh, you know, Caswell comes across, I mean, Someone from that era obviously couldn't understand what was happening. Uh, the explanation of a time machine. Things were really more complex than what he was used to being, like a cattle rancher or whatever he was in his previous life. So, you know, he struggles to come to terms with everything that's going on. And then, well, especially when he tells him that, hey, there's there's carriages outside without any horses. Right, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? But, but his well, mind, I mean, horsepower, yeah. if you will. But yeah, not, exactly. No. His, he just can't really wrap his mind around you know what's taking place, right? So I believe he this is this where he passes out from the pain or something. He he goes to sleep or something. Remember? Uh, he I think he goes to the other room and he you know Professor Mannion sort of um, encourages him to go to sleep in another room. He's, he's very tired. But is this where he notices the neck? Yeah, wound on a, he's he's examining before him. he does that. Before he sends him, he he sees the the neck wounds and that's the 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 burns on his neck. And then basically, I mean, Caswell is pretty forthcoming with, you know, well, that comes later. Professor Mannion has some uh, suspicions, I guess. Suspicions would be a good word. Like who I brought here. Right. You know, and let's just park here for a second. Um, It's kind of interesting and maybe a little bit cavalier for somebody to pluck somebody out of a different time. and I mean, the, the repercussions of doing that. I don't think uh, Professor Mannion really even thought about that. Or but why? What if you pluck, for example, what if you pluck somebody that was integral in history? That's say, what I said, like, well, well, and then you brought them to the future and how dangerous that would be. Well, think about it this way, too. What if you plucked Abraham Lincoln out of the box right before he got shot and you bring him as the, the he was the president of the United States to this timeline? Right. What's going to happen to history? Could be, yeah, disastrous effects. That's what I'm saying. What if Mannion would have time-traveled one of his relatives? He would have never been there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it would have altered. We've learned from Back to the Future um, and all these other time travelers so that if you mess up something in the past, it affects the future with Biff and everything else, McFly, his mom and dad. You know what I mean? So if he would have plucked somebody that was part of yeah. you know, his family heritage. Right. And what integral, would an integral to you know a great historical figure. I wrote this down. Uh, most of us probably are familiar with the movie Jurassic Park. Ian Malcolm, the character in Jurassic Park, he uses a line yep. that really fits here. It says, uh, "The line he says they were so preoccupied with whether they could." Speaking about the, the dinosaur creation and you know all that stuff, they were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to ask whether they should. And I. I think that really applies here to Professor Mannion. He really didn't... He was only concerned about whether he could do that, and he really didn't consider any of the ramifications or the ethics of whether he should bring someone forward in the future. So, that was just a little side note. Yeah. 
I guess. You guess? You're not. You don't look impressed. No, it was terrible. I hate okay. this episode. And, All right. And, and, and I'm still. I'm getting ready to get to the continuity part that I just don't understand. Okay. And, 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 and we'll, we'll let get you, there. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, we'll let you get there. I'll get there. I'll so, get there. At this point, um, Professor Mannion, he has an old style. What's called a dictaphone, which was used by you know professors, doctors, etc. Uh, back in the early 60s and it's a recording device and right here we're going to give a, a small clip of the episode and professor Mannion, let me just set it up maybe a little bit he's kind of giving his characterization and some of his findings of what he has discovered about his subject as he is uh, really it's um just a description of of caswell here in uh, the next few moments at 8 15 the subject appeared desperately tired so I put him to bed. After two hours, I've discovered the following. His name is Joseph Caswell. He tells me he was a trail boss on a cattle ranch in the territory of Montana. He says he was riding herd when uh, suddenly he blacked out. He awoke to find himself on the cot of my laboratory. There's one disturbing point. There are the marks of a rope etched deeply into his neck. He has no explanation for this. Now I have one other observation. It's hardly scientific. I don't like his looks. I get a feeling that I've taken a 19th century primitive and placed him in a 20th century jungle. And heaven help whoever gets in his way. All right, so there you have uh, Professor... Mannion's dictation into um, the kind of person that he believes that he brought back to him and the questions that he had. So now you have um, old Mr. Caswell wake up from his slumber or whatever, mm-hmm. and he comes walking back in to talk to the professor. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is where he explains to him, says, hey, look, he's like, outside outside here, you're going to find carriages with no horses. Um, and he's like, you lie, blah, blah, blah. He's like, you're going to see things that aren't isn't going to make much sense to you. Um, and here's here's one of the first things that I have a problem with. So he goes over to the window, right? And he's like, oh, it's so loud. It's loud. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even have the window open. Okay, come on. I mean, you're, you're used we to... We don't run, know that. Yes, you do. You can't tell that it's not It's open. not open because when he goes through it later in the episode, it's still closed. But it... Uh, okay. So don't tell me. I'll have to go me. back and rewatch Right, that. you will. Because <laughs> my, up, my thing is, this guy is from the Old West, where you had horses running through town, you had wagons and all that. It's making noise, too. But so, not the, the, the same noise as a busy street in a major metropolitan city. Disagree, though. but he's also inside. Okay. They didn't have all this nice furnishings See, and, and padding and I'm insulation. Right here. I'm right Look here, and it looks to me like the window might be open. No, it's not. All right. Well, it, it, because if you it, from what about to, what's getting ready to happen here in this scene... Nothing changes. Okay. Until later in I'm the, with you. you know okay. what I'm talking about now. It looks closed now. Okay. Right. Thank you. Yeah, I thought All so. Right. So so. Go ahead, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Take it away from there. No, duly noted. I, yeah. I, I uh, no, keep going. I've that, got more. That's a small continent. Oh no, I've here. got. I agree. That, that, no, that's not the one I'm talking about. Uh, Just keep going. <laughs> I've, I've got a better one. Okay. So it looks as though Caswell again, just to reiterate, is distressed. He's uh, the the noise. Uh, maybe the the fact that he's high up in a high-rise building because probably back in the old west there was no building that was maybe over two stories or three stories right the saloon that that had the uh you know the the rooms above it etc i'm just i'm just you're trying to make up something imagine, I, I get you. you know just imagining old west movies but anyway but, he's but in if a he's, high-rise building but if he's that high up then the noise wouldn't be as loud either 
That's true. I'm, I'm not discounting the, okay, the okay. continuity error. Okay, that is that, that's not even the continuity error. Okay. I agree with. I understand it may be a little loud, honking the horns. If you're in New York, wherever they're at, I think okay. it's New York. Right. Uh huh. You know the taxis, all them crazy people. But go ahead. No, he, not uh, saying the taxi people are crazy. I'm just saying you know there's a lot of people crammed into a small space there in New York. Let's say New York City, right. if that's where they're so at. So maybe uh, that causes a little bit of dizziness, leaning over, the noise. Okay, we can we can. That's a small thing to argue back. Uh, but uh, so as they move away, I mean, really, the essence that Albert Salmi pe- played as Caswell, he, I do be, feel like he played a really good part, which he actually wasn't the original person to play Caswell. Uh, another actor, and his name slips to my mind. He actually got sick on the day of, uh, was it either pre-production or the actual day of filming. And so they replaced him kind of last minute with uh, Salmi. But I thought he played a, a reasonable outlaw. He, he, he seems very, he, he really does convey evil. And he's forthright in telling Mannion, like, look, um, I really just thought the dialogue was really good here, the way it was written. Like, um, he's, they're talking about justice. By the way, this, you know, some people talk about the twilight zone justice in in quotes you know the people who are supposed to get what's coming to them get it and the people that you think might deserve justice they kind of get uh mercy a little bit and that's all issued by this twilight zone just they call it twilight zone justice but anyway i think that might be reading a little bit into it but here caswell is evil it's it's obvious that he's evil he's killed these men and there is a back and forth where Mannion, you know, talks about, well, we have laws, we have justice, we have things that are, you know, that are laid down that men have to apply to their philosophies in life that, um, you know, law and order, and he, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to quote it verbatim. And Caswell takes exception to that. And he says, look, if it becomes, you know, if it's cold and I'm on the trail and if it comes between me and another guy and a loaf of bread, I'm going to do whatever it takes, basically, to get what I need. I'm going to get what I get and, uh, ju- you know, forget the justice part of it. I'm going to do what I feel is just and basically kind of dismissively are um, very dismissive about his killing of all the men that, you know, had, that he's murdered. And um, so then he proceeds to lean over the desk and take the lamp and he crushes the skull of uh, Professor Mannion, killing him with the lamp. And Jimbo, did you want to have anything that you wanted? Oh, I thought this was not yet. You were no, no, you're, your, you're, we're getting ready to come up on it. I'll your, let you know. Continuity error. Uh, and I might not have done a, a good job of describing that scene, but I do think if obviously, hopefully you've watched the episode before you come to the podcast. I do think the dialogue there is, uh, is pretty good. It, it's talking about, uh, you know, philosophical, thi- philosophical things and right versus wrong and justice versus injustice. And, you know, he talks about the sheriff whipping justice into his back with a wet rope. And-, and you know what? And that's what I told you where I think that he's more quasi-motto than he is an outlaw person. You know, all the references like that, too. You know what I mean? And just... I, maybe it's his outfit he's wearing. I don't know, but but he and his hair is just all disheveled. He kind of reminded me of Quasimodo from Hunchback of Notre Dame. If okay. you've ever seen like one of the old movies okay. of that, 
I just don't. I just don't know if I like the the outfit that he's wearing. He's wearing all black, I do believe. Well, I mean, uh, and I understand his symbolism. Yeah. yeah, I get it. I get it. But it just didn't. It just didn't do nothing for me. I got you. All okay, right, that's fair. Enough. Keep going. We're still not there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like hurry up, get this thing over with. This is the part that I will concede is corny, where he's on the street and he's stumbling around and he's bumping into people. It's like he can't walk. I mean. Uh, this well, is, this like is over the top. For it's me. like he's disheveled from his hearing because he's holding his ears like it's all the noise. Exactly, and he's stumbling around. He runs into the middle of the street, and he's and then why do they use? I I don't know if this was like a thing with the Twilight Zone, but it, actually in Where Is Everybody in the first episode there was a phone booth. <laughs> he goes I and he gets into booth. the phone booth yeah. because he hears the operator on the other end, and he accidentally locks himself in the phone booth. And then his solution is to smash his way out through the... I thought that was... I will concede that. It was really corny. This whole interlude of him on the street and then the bar scene, and then he's smashing the jukebox and then smashing okay, the Okay, okay. Well, we, we, we need to get there. So so we're, we go to this little I will, ice cream shop, right? Is that where he's at? Like a, a no, restaurant? A bar. Oh, whatever. The same right. difference. I, I think. They serve him alcohol. Right. He serves I mean, him whiskey. Well, he, he serves himself a whole bottle. Right. So, okay, here we go. Are you ready? Well, here's I'm, where, I'm here's... just saying, well, one last comment. This is hokey. It's corny. It, it it doesn't fit into the episode, I don't think. It seems kind of unnecessary. Like, they could have done but, something with this particular part. But I think for the, from here, from, from the, the time that he opened that window till what's going to happen, from here on out, all plays an integral role. And we'll, okay. we'll get ready to dive into it. Go ahead. It. Do, do, so we go into in. the bar. Uh-huh. And the bartender, and, you know, the music's playing, and he just, what, takes that chair and just bashes in the, yeah, no the, the whole jukebox no reason because it's that. making noise yeah. you know what I mean and, and he's never seen one okay right. Under, fine whatever I'm fine with that <laughs> so then he goes over to the bartender you know and he's like hey I need sets his gun on yeah, the yeah, yeah, so he's, yeah he's like yeah, I need whiskey or yeah, something yeah. and the bartender's like well you're gonna pay for that buddy and he sets the gun up there you know what I mean he's like oh, oh, oh here have a whole bottle you know and he, he tries to get the lid off you know and he takes the lid off and he just starts drinking the thing and this is the you know him and him and him and the bartender are having this conversation and he looks up and he's like oh he's like you've never seen this before let me give you a little demonstration and wouldn't you know of of the millions of airtime and the the, the all the, the three channels they had the exact moment that they turn on the TV <laughs> happens to be a cowboy looking at the TV screen saying all right partner it's your turn to draw you better do it soon or whatever and so the guy picks up the gun shoots the bar or shoots the TV you know. And, and here's where things start going downhill for me right away. Okay. This is the exact moment. So the bartender says, oh, okay, here, here, take these two drinks. You need to just go home and you need to go, you need to, to, to go sleep it off, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that, that was before he shot the TV. So he shoots the TV and the, and the guy's like, oh, now you've done it. But police, police. He starts yelling for the police. Okay. So I think I know. Unless there's a, no, 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 you don't. So there's, there's no police in earshot. Okay. That we know of. So here's the moment that I've been one to, he goes out, out the thing. And he starts running, and there's like a, a theater behind him, mm-hmm. right? And he's looking around. He goes out into the middle of the street. A taxi cab pulls up. He turns around with his gun and shoots the taxi cab driver, 
kills him. Yeah. Right there. Right. What's he do? He crumbles up into a ball on the middle of the street. The next thing you see, he's back in the apartment. Right. Number one, if there was a police run, you can hear the sirens mm-hmm. in the episode. Mm-hmm. There is a million people standing all around, and this big baby is crawled up into a ball. You want me to believe that this big bad guy is crumbled into a ball in the middle of the street? You really worked up about Oh, this is where, because I don't understand. If you have all these witnesses, the security, even if me and you seen somebody getting shot out here on the street, okay, we would do our best to go out there and stop the perpetrator. If the perpetrator is crumpled into the middle of the street, we're going to go set on him. I mean, I will. I'm a big enough guy. But what I'm saying is you had this whole crowd of people. This guy's in the middle of the street. There's sirens coming. So the cops have to be a block or two away because you can hear them. Mm-hmm. Why and how, number one, did he get back to the office or to the apartment? Mm-hmm. He may have not known which way he was going to begin with. And if he is as disoriented as he portrays throughout the entire episode from the point that he leaves or from the point he opens the window till now, mm-hmm. there is no way that he would have made it back to the thing or there is no way that nobody would have stopped him. I rest my case, Your Honor. Drop the microphone. <laughs> Go ahead. Take you, it over. You make a very passionate argument. Eh, I can't really. But see, that's the continuity I, part. Yeah, that's, I can't dispute that. How did he get back to the apartment? <laughs> We don't know, obviously, because there's a cutaway. What? Is that a commercial cutaway? I, I, I don't know. No, it's just kind no, of a fade but, out, and then he's but, back. But, in but, the but then, the, but then right I now. start thinking, is this guy dreaming all this? And I don't think so. No, and and I'll just go back a little bit earlier. The, a lamp over the head, a glass lamp. It might, it could potentially kill you. Well, I it's guess. definitely going to knock you out for sure. But I digress. I, I'll get. I'll. Uh, I'll but do you understand that. why I get yeah, so upset? Yeah, well, because especially if the guy, that. if the guy is yelling for police, yeah, and then you hear sirens. Obviously, somebody heard him because he didn't pick up the phone and call them. Right, unless the call was for someone else. Still, but if you've got gunshots and the the guy in the taxi cab, you watch the episode. The guy in the taxi cab falls over dead. <laughs> they're gonna be like, it's that guy right there. And if and then my point is, if he's in the middle of the street, if you look, he's ah, in the middle of the street. Got you. Duly noted. This uh, episode in particular is trash. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of violence in this episode. Very much uh, violence for for a time and, and place where you couldn't show two married couples in the same bed, or even uh, the Alfred Hitchcock was the, the movie Psycho came out around this time, uh, 1959, 1960, and they couldn't even get a toilet on mm-hmm. uh, the movies. And for this much violence and gun violence, too, I mean, it has a, it's it's a very violent episode um and that's what takes me to the, the next scene where well we've come through the scene that jimbo very eloquently <laughs> passionately and i like passionately to say. um described for us so we're back into the apartment slash how we lab. got there we don't know we don't know we don't know and but, we don't know uh, why a million people didn't say officer this is all these witnesses because if you look at the street there's like 40 people we'll, we'll leave that this to tv magic and so we're we're back in. We'll, we'll just we'll just say that. But this is. But see, here's here's what I here's something else I was thinking before you go ahead and go on. No, no, no. Just real quick, because laboring this no, 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 no. This okay. is this is this is something that you'll be able to respond to. Do you think that that moment is where the policeman was supposedly shot him in the alternate ending, and that's why he crumples in the street right there? We're, we're going to get to that. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Do you think that would be the moment that that would have happened? Probably. At? But Serling rewrote the ending. Yeah, right. you're correct. Um, that's a good point. Uh, that was a very possible explanation as to where the episode might have uh, turned or ended, in fact. So, where are we? We're back, we're back, in, in, the, the we're back in the lab. <clears throat> Don't know how we got there. We've uh, talked about that. And then we encounter um, our 
thief, I guess. His name is Paul Johnson. And he comes in and he confronts Caswell and he tells him, you know, I thought the place would be empty or the guy or the professor would be asleep. And they kind of have an exchange of words. And yeah, he's like, uh, you're here. I'm sure you're looking for the same thing. I'm yeah, looking for because he thought he was another thief breaking in to yeah, steal something. He said, he's like, they got a, a vault or a safe here somewhere. You yeah. know what I mean? So there's, he's going to search and the he joint. he basically says, hey, thanks for finishing the job for me. And they get into a scuffle, and a fist fight ensues. And then it's so ironic, the irony here that escaped, that Caswell escaped the necktie party only to be strangled by another criminal using a curtain blind cord to take his life. So he right. ends up getting strangled anyway by another criminal. But you uh, skipped over the most major part of this thing that we were talking about. When they get in their fist fight or whatever, he shoves Coswell through the glass, the window. He shoves him through the glass. The glass uh, breaks. Yeah. Okay, so then he wraps the cord around his neck or whatever. Right. So the window was shut. Okay. Thank you. I just want to make sure we, we pointed we that out. I thought we on that earlier. No, no, no. I, I you, 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 you were still on the fence, but I, I wasn't want to say. sure, but now that, you know, I agree. It was closed. Um, so now we're coming so down now, to the end. Let's not let the irony be uh, be lost. On I mean that that's kind of the twist here. Yeah, that's poetic justice that Coswell exactly. ended up getting hung anyway. Yeah, and it's it is the kind of the, the well the twist kind of comes later. Uh, well, as um, Paul Johnson, you know, he kind of is fumbling around the uh, laboratory and he's looking for that safe as you mentioned earlier, and he's trying to get and gather any kind of valuables that. He can gather, and he happens to stumble his way into the time machine, which the time machine, the globe, <laughs> and the door automatically closes yeah, that, on him. That, I was, see, like, I'm with you on that. That's a little. Like, and he, can't he didn't get push out. any buttons or anything, you and, know. And he can't get out, and he can't open it again. <laughs> that's kind of yeah. I, I I remember that part, but as we've often referenced, this. Um, Prop was of a course, lot of the props were from Forbidden uh, Planet. Were from uh, from Forbidden Planet, of course. And um, where am I? Paul Johnson is in the time machine. He's lights are going machine. off. The lights are going off. The door comes down. He can't get out, and then he is instantly transported back to the same exact time that Caswell left, and he is on the end of the hangman's noose. You see the shadow on the ground, exactly. and you look up, and you you see the the the, the dress shoes and the dress pants of. The character and they're all like they're all standing around like uh what just happened you know what I mean? did we uh the reverend and uh was he like a judge that was yeah yeah the judge said, did we did we kill execute an innocent man? man which luckily they didn't you know what i mean i mean maybe he was a petty thief but he was going there to murder the, the well he was a professor too, right 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 he, so he went through um so basically he got his just justice too but then again, here's here's where we do the whole time travel thing with him going back in time. Does that alternate the timeline of his family in the future? Did he have know. wife? Did he have a kid? You know, I mean, you yeah, don't, we know. don't know. Yep. So, um, a couple little things before we get going or keep keep you got going. Some trivia over there. Yeah, let me let me pull up this uh, okay. sheet of paper. I just have one um, question and observation. I'll just throw at you because the rest yeah, of my it. questions and observations were sort of covered throughout the episode. Um, do you think Joe Caswell got the justice that he deserved? That was the one question that I came away with. Or did he get? Or did he get? Um, I guess I'd call it poetic justice. Uh, yeah, I think that's um, a good word. Because for it. yes, he did murder somebody in the past, but it was just as much Professor's 
did the professor get his just desserts from transporting somebody Maybe. that he shouldn't have messed with to begin with? Right. Um, I would say eventually, yeah, I guess. I think justice was served but by the, all, but, on but all the, parties. But the problem is you don't know. The, 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 the one problem I have with that is the father of the boy that he was shot in the back that they were going to execute him for, he mm-hmm. will never know. Mm-hmm. He's not going to know. He's, they don't know what happened to Mr. Uh, Caswell. <laughs> right. And That's the alternate all. ending is in the George Clayton Johnson version. The ending is that Caswell gets shot by the police officer. Jimbo mentioned that earlier. And that he ends, he actually ends up back in the Old West. But I think Rod Serling thought the, the continuity of that really didn't match up. Like you get shot by a police officer and then you just automatically end up. That didn't really, he didn't like that idea. So he, re, he rewrote the ending. I kind of I like Sterling's ending better. It makes more sense that he gets into the time machine and goes back to that exact point because I mean that would have been the exact point that he left. And if nothing had changed from Mannion's settings to bring Caswell to 1960, that would make sense that he would go right back. That Johnson would go right back. But the fact that he couldn't get out and that he was trapped in the glass structure and all that. But my thing is, eh. okay, here, here's two things. One, when Caswell came. The professor had to get him out, right, out of the time machine. Right. The door didn't shut on him when he got him out, <laughs> right? Uh, number two, when he found out, he started seeing the neck rope burns, and, he, and, and the guy's passed out, and you're starting to question yourself, who did I bring? And you know the rope burns, and he's dressed like a cowboy. I would have probably just put him right back in the time machine and, and shifted that thing back to where he came from. Yeah. But who knows? Uh, it's two negatives make a positive because they both ended up dying. I guess if you want to look at it that way, two negatives didn't make a positive. But uh, so much of the equipment, like we said, re- uh, the dials, the machinery, and even the large transparent globe was also used in Forbidden Planet 1956. Which you're in luck. Um, by the time you hear this, our episode of Forbidden Planet with Mr. 80Z will be out because we're going to sit down and record that right after this. Boo. <laughs> uh, Satellite in the sky in 1956 and World Without End in 1956. Um, we talked about the telephone booth already. Uh, this episode takes place on November 14th, 1880, and in 1960. Uh, the background noises heard in the time machine were later reused in Star Trek, the original series uh, from 1966. They were previously heard in the Twilight Zone, Third from the Sun, again, uh, and the Twilight Zone, Elegy, which we've already covered both of those. So they they, they really use a lot of the same props. They get the most out of their props. Absolutely. Like Hitchcock, or Hitchcock used to do. He used to shift them between Hitchcock Presents and his movies and stuff like that. Yep. So that's all right. Uh, Albert Salmi appeared in the Twilight Zone Execution, the Twilight Zone of Quality and Mercy in 1961, and the Twilight Zone of Late, I think, of Cliffordville in 1963, all which involve time travel. Uh, in Execution in Cliffordville, his characters are very unlikable, although that is not the case in the episode Quality. And when Caswell leaves the bar, he stops in front of a place called Jim Henry's Paradise. The sign, same sign was used in Cabin in the Sky in 1943. Mr. 80Z, give me your observations and expertise on this episode. Like it? Dislike it? I Top tenner? I thought the, the story was it, it was okay. it was okay. Again, I wouldn't put it in a top ten. It didn't crack the top ten. You say it's lower tier near the bottom of all the episodes. I I wouldn't put it that low. I think that's being a little bit extreme. Um, I I think the story, other than the middle parts that I explained earlier, the middle that make it's nonsensical when he's stumbling around in the street. I wish they could have. I don't know what the. I never read the short story of the book, um, so I don't know how that follows the the exact storyline. I thought it was kind of corny and dumb. But, uh, you know, again, I'm I'm more favorable to anything time travel. I just, 
you know, I think I give it more of a, a break. Whenever there's time travel involved in a story, I, I just I like the stories uh, about time travel. Uh, the performances weren't terrible. Again, uh, Russell Johnson and Albert Salmi, I thought they did a, a fairly decent job. Some of the other actors, maybe not so much, but and I thought the 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 preacher and the the, the judge. I thought they did a fair job. I thought the I, really, I guess what sticks out the most is I thought the dialogue was 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 good, well written. Yeah, and well written, exactly. And uh, so you know, I would put it mid tier. How many thirty six episodes in season one? I would probably put it at right where it's at. Maybe it's it's episode twenty six. I'd probably put it at number twenty six. So you're definitely saying it's lower tier. Yeah, it would be in the bottom half, bottom quarter. Yeah. Um, for me, I mean, we've only got like, what, 10 episodes left? And, and and I know there's one, at least one or two coming up that I really dislike. So if you thought I was harsh on this one, you can already see something. <laughs> oh, maybe even t- next week. We're going to team up to <laughs> talk about some really bad ones. Um, but just the whole, like, when you sit back and, and as you do a podcast, you watch this show um, several, doing times. several times. And I and, and usually, you know, you can change your mind about an episode the more you watch it. Um, I know, like, Mirror Image, you changed your mind on that mm-hmm. one. Uh, perchance the gene we came around on that because we had to record that one five times because of some audio issues right and watch out for my spit as i spit halfway across the room <laughs> um it's just this one i kept waiting for it to get better and get better and get better and every time i did i, I it would point to something else being wrong and I, and and that continuity error I, that that's one thing that i just don't understand um I, maybe i'm being too harsh on it but i just think as disoriented as he was in a city he does not know, with people he do does not know, and they're not going to be. He does have no identification on him to say, "Hey, I live at this address." I have a problem with that. How he how he came from a crumpled piece in the middle of the street back to the apartment, and you could tell there was like some time skippage or something. So maybe they took something out there. Maybe this is where Sterling said we shot this. But but the, but if that's the case, he never got shot by the police officer, so there's no reason for him to be crumpled in the middle of the street right there. So I really have a problem with that. To me, this is probably. Um, and I and I know the other two definitely that are might be below this, but this is probably the third one at the lowest end of the, the season one for me. Um, and we've seen a lot of stuff um, just because the I didn't like Caswell's acting. Uh, I guess the clothing. I understand they're trying to distinguish that he's a cowboy. He didn't from have this, traditional the, cowboy attire, right? I and and, and the whole the whole uh, we're going to turn on this TV and there's a cowboy on there getting ready to draw at you. Just, it was hokey. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, yeah of, it was, I mean, I just. I just couldn't. I didn't care for it. I really didn't. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm trying to be nice about it, but you know, what I mean, because I know you like this one, so I'm trying to be uh, favorable for this. But I mean, as a fan of the Twilight Zone, I I I like I like it because it's a Twilight Zone, right? But it's not one of my favorites. Gotcha. Um, poorly done. But other than that, uh, well written. I just wish that whole, like you said, the whole middle screen or middle. From the part time he left the the the, the thing, and then, and here's another thing: if he's on a high rise apartment, who's to say? He wouldn't have just walked out the window or something. You know what I mean? How would he know to get down to the bottom? You know what I mean? I mean, it's probably the tallest building he's ever seen. Mm-hmm. But I digress. I could be here all day just chomping away at it. So I might as well just get rid of this one. Just, just leave it alone. Chalk this up Bury to it. A, chalk this up to an L. Yeah, execute it. I'm going to execute it so it's over. Um, but there you have it. That is uh, episode 25. Man, 25 already. Man, we are just tearing through is these. Is that 25 or 26? I have 26. Maybe I'm wrong. No, that's 25. Is it 25? I My do believe apologies. so. Double check. But I My believe, apologies if I um, wrote 26. Yeah, I believe it's 25. So, 
Um, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close. And Eric, you're here in person. Take it away. And cut. This is November 1880, the aftermath of a necktie party. The victim's name, Paul Johnson, a minor league criminal and the taker of another human life. No comment on his death save this. Justice can span years. Retribution is not subject to a calendar. Tonight's case in point, in the Twilight Zone. <laughs>